The scripture reading is from Genesis chapter uh, 17, uh, starting at the beginning. And uh, I've titled this, Let's Not All Raise Our Hands at Once. But <clears throat> So uh, if you would uh, stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. And let us begin with Genesis 17, verses 1 through 9, and then 15 through 19. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And then to verse 15, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. May our Lord add his blessings to this reading and hearing of his holy and infallible word. Please be seated. So this is the now the fourth uh, in this series on the names of God as I have uh, filled the pulpit this year when Pastor Lynn has been absent for one reason or another. Uh, today he's filling the pulpit uh, down in uh, Scapoose, uh, Oregon, St. Helens, at uh, Columbia Bible Presbyterian Church down there. Uh, the first time we looked at uh, in the introduction uh, to the names of God, and more specifically, some of the important reasons for, for knowing God's names, and then we looked at the name uh, Elohim, and then last time we looked at Yahweh. But before uh, going further, let me say once again, especially for those that are 
uh, new and present here today or are new and watching us uh, online. Uh, whenever I fill the pulpit delivering a message, uh, I uh, just have to uh, say that it is not really my forte. Uh, I have not uh, been to seminary. I'm just a simple and I might add a quickly aging uh, country ER doc. Uh, so being up here is uh, humbling. Uh, it's uh, definitely humbling that I am representing uh, our great God when I stand before you. Anyway, so a short recap about names. We learned that names are important. We learned that in the ancient times, names usually meant uh, more than what they mean today. They were more than just what a person or a location uh, was called. Uh, it usually revealed some important information about the individual or the place uh, itself. We saw that the ways uh, various names and titles are used uh, also speaks of relationships. Because of the depths of God, God's character, he has various names uh, that reflect the many ways that he relates uh, to us. And knowing God's names and really knowing them well uh, opens the doors uh, for us to more fully know his character. And this in turn allows us uh, to experience his majesty uh, and his power more deeply. We saw that when God is called Elohim, uh, that he is revealing himself as the strong one, the mighty one, the all-powerful, as God the creator. Uh, for by his mere utterance of words that uh, the universe and all the things uh, in it were put into place. He literally painted the universe with his magnificent voice. And then he saw it was good. <clears throat> and really, how could he see it uh, any differently? There's a blessing and comfort in understanding this great name of God, Elohim, found uh, over 2,700 times uh, in Scripture. We learned it signifies God's supreme power, his sovereignty, and glory on the one hand, for as we have in the Lord's Prayer, thine, which therefore meaning Elohim, is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. And on the other hand, it signifies a covenantal relationship that he is ever faithful to his creation, both the animate and the inanimate aspects, that he will maintain his wondrous creation and it is his creation. <clears throat> he maintains it for his purposes, purposes known to him which he will reveal to us should he so desire. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> the last time I was up here then, we looked at the name Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, the name by which uh, he is revealed nearly 6,800 times uh, in Scripture. And with this name, he is the great I am. Uh, many translations uh, denote this name as the word Lord in all capital letters. Uh, we saw that this name, the name Yahweh, that it was and uh, still is so sacred uh, in the Hebrew, uh, traditional Hebrew culture that the Jews uh, didn't then and don't even now uh, dare even speak it for fear of their breaking the prohibition 
against taking the Lord's name in vain. We took significant time revealing, reviewing this name uh, as the existing one. Uh, we saw him, uh, in other words, as the only truly independent being in the universe because he, as Yahweh, is the only being that is self-generating. He alone perpetuates himself, although, and he does so through all eternity. He is the only one that is able to do so. And the self-existence of our God Yahweh includes his self-sufficiency. Uh, this reminds us that he is the great eternal one. He is fully independent. He needs only himself to exist in the dimension where he lives. He is everlasting because he is who he is, he is who he was, and he is who we, he will be because he is the great I am. And today we'll look at the name El Shaddai. Some people in English pronounce it El Shaddai, but it's actually more proper to, to pronounce it as El Shaddai. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, but in addition to uh, these names, uh, God is also known by quite a few others. There's um, Adonai, El Elyon, El Nisei, uh, El Rafa, Rafa, El Jaira, uh, Yahweh Shalom, and you know, quite a few others. And we'll look at those uh, over the uh, in, uh, next few uh, months or even years, Lord willing. And so God has a name for every circumstance and situation in which we may find ourselves and in every purpose in which we may find him. So knowing God's names are critical to our comprehension and application of the strengths and the victories that come uh, through the multi-dimensional nature uh, of our great God. And yes, God truly wants us to come face to face with him. But besides all this, uh, once again a reminder, there are three main principles to keep in mind when we regard the names of God. We are commanded to honor him. We are commanded to fear him. And we are commanded to praise him. God's names are hallowed. They are to be respected. They are to be treated with reverence, for he is to be revered. When we live in a covenantal relationship with God, we become accountable for reflecting uh, his character. When we are, as we say, uh, in Christ, we bear his name. Our behavior, both publicly and privately, yes, privately, because he sees directly into our hearts, our behavior reflects upon him. And when we take the name, that name Christian, we must remember the commandment that says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so fearing God's name actually should encourage us. It empowers us to walk in his ways and in his truth. Fearing his name is the key to an abundant life uh, of fulfilling to the utmost the providence that our great God has in store for us. God's names and subsequently Christ's names 
name brings uh, protection and provision. But the key to accessing that protection and provision is to know his character and to esteem and respect the person behind the name. To fear and revere God's names is to revere God. It is to take him seriously. And thus, we are so commanded. And so I plead all of us with ears that can hear, do not be ignorant of this truth as it is laid out in his holy word. And then lastly, to know God's names is plainly inherent to the greatness of his names. For we are commanded to praise his name, to praise him above all. And we as his children have an everlasting eternal life with him to praise him forever and ever. As an additional recap, the names of God convey his intrinsic majesty and glory. Discovering and experiencing the manifestation of his names in our lives steers us directly into his presence. And thus, this helps us understand how to praise and worship him more and more and how to do it more effectively. <clears throat> so now it's time to raise your hand in response to a few questions. First question, how much is enough? How much is enough? Okay, never mind. I guess that was a little too vague. Uh, now, that I, now that I think about it, <clears throat> this was way too vague. Uh, so <clears throat> that... Uh, <clears throat> Let's just think about it, though, for a second, that it often seems uh, that simply to put this question into, say, uh, monetary uh, terms, from the typical or maybe uh, usual uh, uh, human perspective, how much is enough will very often be answered, there's never enough. Because due to our implicit nature, our imperfect nature, that we as fallible creatures are <clears throat> always looking for more and more. <clears throat> so now that that's out of the way, it's time to raise uh, some hands. So who out there would be content with, from a monetary standpoint, say uh, two million US dollars? No hands. Oh, you want it tax-free. Very good. Uh, <clears throat> so, obviously it means we want more. I must confess that I wouldn't mind doubling or tripling that or even just, you know, rounding it off to 10 mil. That would be fine. Unless, of course, I say in my heart that that would mean that then you may not get what, how much you want because I'm taking more. Well, anyway. So... <clears throat> I know this is a, a rhetorical sort of exercise, but the point I really want to get across is that we should realize that the answer to how much is enough, whether it's money or happiness or health or years of living, it should be answered clearly and unequivocally <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that what God provides is enough. What he gives is enough. So now, <clears throat> I ask 
that if any of you have come to a point in your personal relationship with our Lord that he is enough, uh, no need to raise hands. Uh, no re- non-response is clearly sufficient. But he is sufficient to meet our needs. Do you trust him to fulfill the promise of his word? His word tells us uh, to be anxious for nothing, uh, to not worry. But how many of us live without some anxiety or live without some degree of worry? I'm not seeing any hands, but that's okay too. Uh, If we look back at our text today, here in Genesis 17, we see that Abram is faced with what I would call a faith crisis event. And God needed to show Abram that he, God, was sufficient to fulfill his promises. Here we are first introduced to the name El Shaddai. In our scripture reading for this morning, when Abraham received a visit from the Lord, he said, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I will make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. This name is a powerful combination of El, meaning God, and Shaddai, meaning almighty or sufficient. Together, El Shaddai, the name appears in scripture just seven times. But, it is, but God is also referenced solely as Shaddai an additional 41 times. The word almighty points to the omnipotence of God, namely his all-sufficient, all-powerful nature, his ability to do anything and everything at any given time. But what is really intended, what is this really intended to convey? It, does it, is it meant to underscore the emphasis of El, God, uh, focusing on the majesty and absolute power of God, or on the Almighty, the sufficiency that he provides in Abram's life? So, <clears throat> so as we see that God introduces himself to Abram and to us, as El Shaddai, and, and this uh, is in, in the context of a covenant, a formal, official agreement that God makes. And mind you, this covenant that he made with Abram is also a covenant he has made with us, his children, the children of God. For all those trusting in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior have entered into what we call the new covenant. Jesus spoke of this when he instituted the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Through this new covenant, we have entered into an agreement with God. It is like a legally binding contract. It is an obligatory promise between God and those trusting in Jesus for their salvation. The fact that El Shaddai is introduced to us in a context of a covenant is no small thing. God takes his covenant seriously. 
And it's very important to keep this in mind as we explore this name further. The fact that El Shaddai has introduced us, oh, I just started reading the same thing again. We were originally exposed to the uh, initiation of this covenant some 25 years uh, earlier in Genesis chapter 12, the very beginning, when God established the essence of this agreement. He said, uh, it reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Abram was 75 years old at that time. This is when he left the land of Haran uh, with that covenant. And so by the way of Egypt, he settled in Canaan. And from this covenant, he had a blessing from the Lord. The Lord had a special plan for him. He had a special blessing, a very, very special blessing. In fact, God's covenants always involve a blessing. A blessing is God's favor expressed to us through us to others to bring glory to him. A blessing is never what God has happens uh, to occur as an event to us. It has to go full circle in order to truly be a blessing. A blessing is what God does to us so that it might flow through us to others and for his glory. So when God told Abraham that he was going to bless him, it wasn't merely a promise to bring about good things. Rather, God said he would bring about good things to Abram and make him a great nation so that all the families of the land would be blessed, so that God would be glorified. And God began this by giving him a true heir. Now fast forward some 25 years. Abram has been waiting so long. He has begun to doubt that God's promise will ever come about. So he did what many of us do today. He went logical on God. He questioned God in chapter 15. He pulled out an uh, if-then sort of statement and tried to reason his way into his promise. Abram basically said, Lord, you still have me childless, and my heir is a Syrian who was born in my house. But God is greater than logic, and he isn't bound to the rules of our finite reasoning. The Lord responded quickly and succinctly to Abram, promising him that Eliezer of Damascus would not be his heir, but rather the heir would be one from his own body. The heir would indeed come from him and would not be someone who is just a quote, relative, so to speak, that simply lived in his home, and so the covenant continues. But this new information, rather than reinforcing Abram's faith in the all-powerful God, sent him and Sarai looking for another solution. Abram's heir was to come from his own body, so they reckoned that must mean Abram was to have a child by someone other than Sarai. And unfortunately, that is exactly what they did. And so enters Hagar. In chapter 16, we see, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. 
it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And so, tired of their waiting for God, Abraham or Abram and Sarai decided to take matters into their own hands. Because they were childless and getting older and older, Sarai decided to help God fulfill his promise. She concocted a man-made or woman-made assistance plan in hope of obtaining the promise. She and she even went to the point of blaming God for her childlessness when she said, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Well, you would think God might have said that was the last straw and then would forsake her. But no, he is a gracious and forgiving God and he made an everlasting covenant with Abram. And as a side note, we also know how devastating Sarai's decision was to send Abram into Hagar, not only for the people of that time, but for all nations that followed, it, it, because it culminated in the birth of Ishmael, the father of the Arabs. And there's been major conflict ever since, and it's been more and more since the rise then of Mohammedism. And so now God introduces himself as El Shaddai, some 25 years after the first promise. Both Abram and Sarai had become old and weary. They tried their own method, but nothing positive came from it. In fact, the opposite. Uh, so they sat waiting and waiting, probably assuming God had abandoned his promise. Now, some of us can probably identify with what Abram and Sarai were feeling. Do we sometimes feel that God has simply taken too long uh, to meet our needs or our desires, uh, to answer a prayer according to our uh, earthly thoughts, uh, according to our earthly understanding. <clears throat> All of us, I guarantee, have felt somewhat like that at some point or another. Uh, okay, maybe not a two or three year old, but certainly shortly thereafter. Is it precisely in these times of doubt that God would remind us just who he is. At Abram's moment of deepest doubt, God told him his name was El Shaddai, God Almighty, the All-Sufficient One. If you were present for my message two times ago, some of you at least, those that might have remained awake, uh, I won't ask for raised hands on that one, uh, you may recall that El is the singular form of Elohim, the name, uh, the name God gave us at the very beginning in Genesis 1-1, where he revealed himself as the all-powerful creator God. While the word Shaddai <clears throat> means almighty, the root of the word is Shad, which literally means breast. Several verses give us great word pictures that this uh, tends to convey. Uh, Genesis 43, uh, verses 24 and 25, partly reads, His arms were made agile by the God, meaning El, of your father who will help you, by the Almighty, meaning Shaddai, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, Blessings of the breast, meaning Shad, 
and of the womb. Notice that it is God, the El, who gives strength to the arms. And God as Shaddai who brings the boundless blessing, blessings of the breast and the womb. And there are two passages in Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 60 or 60 and chapter 66 uh, which uh, read whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through I will make you majestic forever a joy from age to age you shall suck the milk of nations you shall nurse at the breast meaning shad of kings and you shall know that I the Lord am your savior and redeemer the mighty one of Jacob and then in 60, uh, chapter 66, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn, mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, meaning Shad, that you may drink deeply with delight for, from her glorious abundance. In these passages, the word shad is used to signify the supply of nourishment, to fulfill, to be full of bounty. When a mother nurses her child, she supplies what that baby needs for life. The, the name El Shaddai, when coupled with its root meaning, shad, represents the image of God supplying the nourishment needed to sustain life. What, what was the pro problem Abraham and Sarai had. No, you don't need to raise your hand. Oh. <clears throat> Their problem was they couldn't produce life. Sarai was barren. They had no children. So how could God's promise, which was entirely contingent upon Sarai having a baby, be fulfilled when she had no capacity for new life? Abram and Sarai knew they couldn't fulfill the covenant on their own, but yet in vain they tried, and they did try. Perhaps this sounds familiar to you. Have you ever felt your own complete inability to bring about what you perceived at some point was God's promise for your life? That was a little wordy, but. Ever wonder that even with all your efforts to fulfill God's plan, how great they were in your eyes, that despite feeling you literally burned yourself out trying to make things happen, you expended so much energy, yet in reality realized, finally, you actually contributed oh so little to the process. And then you wondered, or you questioned, how could God even work it out? <clears throat> but really, these are the precise times, again, when God reminds us that he is the creator God, the all-powerful, the God who can create something out of nothing. And therefore, he is the God that sustains it all on his own. He nourishes it, for he is El Shaddai. I don't have to try to figure it out, because he's got it. We, we will, he will work it out. Uh, just as he did with Abram and Sarai, he doesn't need our fallible help. He doesn't need our unrighteous help. He just, just as he didn't need the help of Abram and Sarai when they involved Hagar. 
God doesn't need us humans, his creatures, meddling in his plan. The motivation of Abraham, Abram and Sarai may have been good, at least in their eyes, but they went outside of God's plan to try to fulfill what God had promised. They actually got in the way of fulfillment. They hindered the promise. They delayed the progress. <clears throat> you see, God would do what he said he would do simply because he is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his covenant. He has told us this fact over and over and over. He has the power to bring into the visible, physical realm that which exists in the invisible realm, that which we cannot even begin to understand. He doesn't need raw materials with which to work. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He did it as the Latin term is, ex nihilo. And so he certainly didn't need the help of Abram and Sarai to bring them a child. <clears throat> he is God Almighty, all-sufficient, and he loves to manifest himself in the context of the seemingly impossible. So now back to God and Abram. God tells Abram he will establish his covenant between them. And despite Abram's earlier interference, God says this without hesitation. <clears throat> and thankfully this time God responded. He falls on his face before the God Almighty. Uh, sometimes that is also about all we can do. <clears throat> we can, uh, if we can't understand it, but we can certainly believe what God is telling us and act accordingly. Submit and let it be as the Lord has planned. After hearing the name El Shaddai, Abram falls on his face before the God who can create life and sustain it. As a result, Abram, which means exalted father, got a new name, Abraham, which means father of a multitude, as interpreted many nations. And Sarai, which means my princess, as a lady of contention, also got a new name, that being Sarah, which means princess to a multitude. And just before the name change, God basically is reminding Abram that his covenant with him was bigger than anything there was about Abram himself. He tells Abram that he would not only be the father of an heir, but he would also be the father of a multitude of nations. Keep in mind that Abram is 99 years old and Sarah is 90. She has not been able to conceive. God wants Abraham to know who God Almighty truly is. He wanted Abram to be reminded each time someone spoke his name, <clears throat> whenever uh, that God had made a covenant with him and that God would be the one to bring it about. Can you imagine the joy Abram must have experienced when he discovered that the God of his heritage was so almighty as to nourish in this way, that he was the only God who could fill the barren womb of Sarah and turn a mere contender uh, into a princess 
of many nations. But there was a requirement of Abraham. He must walk before God and be blameless. So, raise hands in confession. Who is tired and discouraged? Who uh, has, as we might say, messed things up along the way? Uh, anyone caught up in, a sin, in the syndrome of trying to help God, but only making things worse? Well, if you answered privately, I, uh, even without a hand in the air, you should be encouraged by this name, El Shaddai. Yes, maybe we have waited a long, long time. And yes, we have made mistakes along the way, but we are still here, just as Abram Abraham and Sarah were still there. And remember, God can supply. He can still provide. He can nourish, and he will. In the first two verses of Psalm 91, we get a glimpse of four names of God. It reads, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, that's El Elyon, <clears throat> we will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's Shaddai. I will say to the Lord, that's Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God, that's Elohim, in whom I trust. In essence, these verses are about where we should hang out if we dwell, where we should hang out. If we dwell where God dwells, in the shelter of the Most High, he will do the things of God. We will, we will do the things of God. He will do uh, his thing, and he will provide in our lives. He will give us blessings. He will be our El Shaddai, our supplier, our nourisher. God wants our presence. He wants our relationship. He wants this more than anything he could have for us. He wants our faith. He wants our trust. Right after revealing this name, God told Abraham, walk with me. In this same way, God longs for us to walk with him, to dwell with him, to abide in his presence. Jesus put it this way in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a well-known secret. Yes, well-known and kind of a secret to abundant life. And then verse 7 tells us, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Just like a baby all alone in a crib by itself, it can't be fed without its mother. But that baby will receive the nourishing life it receives when it abides close to its mother. And so we too will receive all we need from our most gracious God when we abide in his presence. He will reveal the manifestations of his promises in us when we are close to him. When we follow him and trust that he is able to provide for us, that he is bountiful in blessings and that he could bring fruit to an empty womb and then we truly discover who he is a lot of 
quote, Christians uh, today live a life by their own decisions, by their own will, by their uh, choices. And that causes a lot of detours, uh, some damage, and yes, anxious waiting. Uh, too often, we live life as though everything depended upon us. We may even, even piously quote that apocryphal saying, that means it's mythical or made up and thus non-biblical, that saying being, God helps those who help themselves. It is not scriptural in any sense. But God tells us, as El Shaddai, he tells us, and he says, hey, I know how to take care of you. I know how to, how to take you exactly where you need to go. But you need to hand over control of your life to me. When we trust in him, he is powerful enough. He is bountiful enough. He is great to supply all we need, regardless of what we've done. He is fully self-sufficient. I know at times it seems God has abandoned us or forsaken us at one time or another, or our perception at least. Sometimes that has resulted in some of the mistakes that we've made. But the beautiful thing is that even though God told Abram at age 75 that he would make him a great nation, and even though Abram and Sarai stumbled along the way, and even though they made some really bad choices and lost a lot of time, God still came back when Abram was 99 and said, I am El Shaddai, I've got this. Are you ready to trust me this time? So Abram fell on his face in submission. And within a year, he and Sarai had a son, Isaac. In Hebrew meaning, he will laugh or he will rejoice. It kind of brings us back to Abraham's behavior right after God uh, changes the name of Sarai and he uh, fell on his face and laughed. <clears throat> and this reminds me of a, a story about a, some people have heard this before, a story of a little bird uh, flying south for the winter. The, the air became colder and colder and it became to freeze and the little bird just couldn't quite make it to warmer climate. And after some time, the little bird finally collapsed in a large field where a herd of cows was grazing. Eventually a cow came by, and you guessed it, dropped manure on the little freezing bird. At first the bird was upset. It was really perturbed, like wouldn't we all be? But then the little bird felt how warm that pile was. Before long, the little bird began to thaw out and became so excited that it started singing with joy. And a cat happened to be passing by and heard the bird's joyful song. And he followed it to the pile and started digging until he discovered the little bird, and he promptly ate it. And sorry if this is disturbing to some, especially the younger ones, but we have some lessons from this. First, not everyone who dumps a pile on you is your enemy. Second, not everyone who digs you out is your friend. And finally, when you are in a pile, keep your mouth shut. If we live long enough, each of us will find ourselves in situations that seem worse than we can bear. Like that little bird. <clears throat> we will feel as though we are trapped under a pile and waiting for who knows how long. 
However, if our expert expectations are set on El Shaddai and his providential nourishing, sustaining, and bountiful care, we won't stumble at the thought of coming through difficult times. In fact, we will have hope, we will have faith, we will have strength that would appear to be exceptionally, would be exceptional during discouraging times. Just think of the book of Daniel when uh, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego were in an extremely bad situation. And it doesn't get any worse than being thrown into a fiery furnace, except being thrown in bound hand and foot. However, these young men put their faith in God and gained a tremendous victory. God was with him, literally with them, right by their side, and he delivered them. He rescued them from the effects of the furnace. That is how El Shaddai, uh, that is how the God Almighty can sustain us. The God Almighty for whom nothing is impossible. And this God Almighty will do the same for you when you abide in his presence in faith. So from this brief look at God's name, El Shaddai, the story of Abraham, we have three critical lessons. First, salvation can never come by works of the flesh. There was nothing Abraham and Sarah could do in their own strength to fulfill the promise God had in their lives. Second, we can accomplish nothing for God as long as we think we can do it by our own strength. We should not get caught up in an Avis rental car mentality that we just need to try harder to please God. We just need to pray that we can go where he wants us to go. And lastly, God has abundant resources to satisfy all our needs. When we discover the truth that God is almighty, that he is sufficient to nourish and supply, then we have unlimited potential to serve him effectively. God is aware of our plights. He is working on our behalf and for our good, regardless of how the circumstance may seem. No matter how long we have waited, we must keep faith in him because ultimately it is he and he alone who sustains us. God Almighty feeds and supports. Abraham and Sarah were in a forlorn situation at old age. They couldn't possibly have a child on their own. But we saw that against all prospects, against all apparent hope, Abraham, in faith, believed. And ultimately, through the birth of his son, Abraham saw the fruit of his faithfulness in the faithfulness of El Shaddai. And so, when the day comes for our victory, we must praise him. We must praise him because he saw us through what might have seemed to be terrible, what might have seemed fruitless what might have seemed even hopeless. We will see the fruit, either in this world or in the next. It is a promise from God, for he says in Isaiah 49, verse 23, those who wait for me will not be put to shame, or other translations read, 
will not be disappointed. Put your hope in El Shaddai. Keep faith in your God Almighty. He knows you. He loves you. And he will sustain you when you trust him to fulfill his promises in you and through you. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your holy and infallible word. Lord, we are so blessed that through your word you have given us your names and word in ways that can help us grasp the measure of your being, no matter how small a measure that may be. Your power, your majesty, your dominion, your holy glory. But God, what greatness we see uh, in that little bit that you show us. Lord, we want to know you to the fullest. We want to know you as we should. Father, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Your uh, sufficiency is manifest in our insufficiency. Your fullness is revealed in our emptiness. Thank you, God Almighty. Thank you, El Shaddai. Thank you for the uh, utmost riches that you exceedingly provide, for the abundance of comfort that you tenderly pour forth, for the substance of life you deliver, for all the blessings, all the nourishments that we receive are so far beyond anything we might ask. So, Lord, we do ask you to give us patience, uh, that you would give us uh, the courage to wait upon your time for the, the blessings of your mercy. Lord, we surrender to you uh, that we may gather at your throne and eternally witness your grace and self-sacrificing love. Lord, we ask these as we ask all things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.